should I play this, Lindsay? Hold on, listen to this. Listen, hold on. You know what this is? I can't hear anything. <laughs> oh, you can't hear anything? No, I don't know why. <laughs> you should be able to. Mm-hmm. You, but I you, mean, you can hear my I'm voice. I'm not going to be surprised as, as we were talking of Mercury retrograde. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Does every does everybody at home? Uh, does everybody at home hear it though? Let's see if everybody at home hears it. Does everybody? Did everybody hear that I just play? Wait. Oh, I just want to make sure. Okay, well, anyway, I, what I was playing there for the opening is the Colombian March and Hymn ah. by, by John Knowles Payne, 1893 World's Fair. That was the official Colombian March. I said, I got to go. I, got, when I, I said, I got to go see what the hell this sounds like, and, uh, and I found it. <laughs> oh, now I have to go back and listen to it. That's awesome. How fitting. To think that, that that is the music. At this, uh, at the 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 opening days and all that stuff, the commemorations, that's it. They had their own their own wonderful man. Did you hear that? Oh no, forget it. Never mind. I was talking about <laughs> <I> that. <did. laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, that's where we are. Uh, that's where we are tonight. We op- we started with opening day, and then we went right to uh, what freaks, right? That's yes. where we went. Boy, okay. So, as far as my thoughts. On this, this I, I, these are some of my favorite, some of my favorite little sections over here because we get into like overload of mini details about what was there, who was there, what was being showcased. I love how they actually used um, this walkthrough of the of the fair with Holmes and Annie and Minnie. Or Anne and Minnie, I forget. Um, I love how they use this walkthrough of he and the two ladies as another uh, way, a conduit of talking about more things that were there. Um, it's just in its it, it, incomplete splendor. That's what they really just hammer home that it is open, but there is a lot of stuff that is not really rocking and rolling until June. Like they're taking, they're talking about all the transportation train tracks are coming off. Olmstead is just starting to be proud of what the uh, landscape is looking like around the uh, the beginning of the summer season. Uh, it isn't until around that point that the Ferris wheel is finally completed. We have a lot of really interesting tidbits of information about that. But uh, what stuck out for you uh, at this point, um, I, Lindsay? I loved. The, I mean, this whole first page actually of this section is amazing. It just describes all the fanfare and the mayor and this descendant of Columbus and all yes. of the people who are just gathering and probably to that song you played. <laughs> A descendant of Columbus. I, I, I actually, yeah. I wrote that down too. I said, damn, that's, man, well, I guess it was only 400 years to that point, so. Yeah, I guess they still knew. We probably still do don't. I mean, they take care of, they, they follow those things closely when it's important, at least. Yeah. Um. But they have all of this fanfare, you know, and the sun has come out, the hot air balloon is up, the the wheel isn't finished, things aren't finished, but things are going okay. But then on page 238, this whole description of the golden key and, and like what took place when they actually activated this key at the 
um, assembly of people that has come there for this opening. It's incredible. I actually read it aloud to uh, Johnny here, and he he was like, "Wow!" Because you don't expect this for, you know, the late nineteenth century. No. Like it's just it's so impressive. I don't know if you want if you want me to read the whole thing, but I think I'll, we I'll have the read. we have the same exact thing. It, it starts at, at precisely twelve oh eight. Yeah. Yeah, I have the same exact thing underlined. Go ahead, read it, please. Yeah, precisely twelve oh eight. He touched the gold key. A roar radiated outward as successive strata of the crowd learned that the key had been pressed. Workmen on rooftops immediately signaled to piers stationed throughout the park and to sailors aboard the warship Michigan anchored in the lake. The key closed an electric circuit that activated the electro-automatic engine stop and starter attached to the giant 3,000 horsepower Alice steam engine at the machinery building. The starter silver-plated gong rang a sprocket turned, a valve opened, and the engine whooshed to life on exquisitely machined shafts and bearings. Immediately, 30 other engines in the building began to thrum. At the fair's waterworks, three huge Worthington pumps began stretching their shafts and pistons like praying mantises shaking off the cold. Millions of gallons of water began surging through the fair's mains. Engines everywhere took steam until the ground trembled. An American flag the size of a mainsail unfurled from the tallest flagpole in the court of honor, and immediately two more like-sized flags tumbled from flanking poles, one representing Spain, the other Columbus. Water pressurized by the Worthington pumps exploded from the McBonnie's fountain and soared 100 feet into the sky, casting a sheet rainbow across the sun and driving visitors to raise their umbrellas against the spray. Banners and flags and gonfalons suddenly bellied from every cornice. A huge red banner unscrolled along the full length of the machinery building, and the canvas slipped from Big Mary's gold leaf shoulders. Sunlight clattering from her skin caused men and women to shield their eyes. 200 white doves leaped for the sky. The guns of the Michigan fired. Steam whistles shrieked. Spontaneously, the throng began to sing, My Country, Tis of Thee, which many thought of as the national anthem, although no song had yet received that designation. As the crowd thundered, a man eased up beside a thin, pale woman with a bent neck. In the next instant, Jane Addams realized her purse was gone. The fair had begun. <laughs> Jane Addams. There's a lot. There's a lot in this one. You know, uh, and, and, and since we're talking about just the majesty of this whole thing, um, I think it was really beautiful, the part where John Root's wife had wrote, uh, written a, a letter to Burnham, D- Dora Root. The next day after what surely had been a difficult night, because Dora is there and thinking about John and and seeing you know going on this this extravagant uh, tour of the grounds there, um, I love this Burnham to thank him for the for the tour and to attempt to convey the complexity of her feelings. Um, our hour on the lagoon last evening proved the crown of a charming day, she wrote. Indeed, I fear we would have lingered on indefinitely had not our foreign friends prepared a more highly spiced entertainment. I think I should never willingly uh, case drifting in that uh, in that dreamland. So, so, so I love the 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 description of this thing as a dreamland. A lot of people are talking about how they're mourning this thing leaving. This thing closing down, even though it's still months away from the closing day. Once people are really starting to absorb what has been built up around them, how just the buildings themselves evoked such emotional responses of people because they're they're in the midst of what is surely at the time some of the greatest feats ever 
ever accomplished in in I mean in architecture, in electrical engineering, in everything, and it's all right there. And she said. Um, uh, the scene elicited uh, conflicting emotions. I find it all infinitely sad, she wrote, but at the same time so entrancing that I often feel as if it would be the part of wisdom, uh, the part of wisdom to fly at once to the woods or mountains where one can always find peace. There is much I long to say to you about uh, work, the work of the past two years, which had brought about this superb realization of John's vision of beauty, but I cannot trust myself. It means too much to me, I think. I hope you understand. For years, his hopes and ambitions were mine, and in spite of my efforts, the old interests still go on. It is a relief to me to write this. I trust you will not mind. And I see that, you know, obviously she has a little bit more personally invested in this because John Root was so, you know, linked to Burnham and herself and all that, but it seems like people from all over the place are really um, are really just taken aback by this. And it's starting to see that it's pushing past um, a lot of big economic downturn going on. There was concerns from people like Olmsted about how uh, just everyday people from the Midwest would show up and how would they react when they see the, the price of food and everything else and, and, and what's, what's, what's going to happen here. But... Um, it's really starting to pick up steam now, big time. And all of the things that were making us anxious about being incomplete and uh, a little disheveled is, is starting to be left behind almost completely. There's, there's still things happening, we'll, and we'll get to them, but still, go right ahead. Yeah, it's really impressive how people react to it. Like you said, in the court of honor, people just automatically became like hushed and quiet. I mean, there's no signs, there's no rules, but it was just like the air of it is so grand that they're overwhelmed i mean they're in respect of it really deep respect other people would just start crying which i can imagine i'm that person i would probably just start crying when i got there <laughs> because it's so beautiful and captivating and that spontaneous singing too you know i the two times just in this section we hear this um spontaneous singing bursts out between people who are gathered there and i kind of thought like man you know like we just don't live in that world anymore like people don't just break out into song together and like have this shared culture and experience and then i actually had to correct myself because i have here next to me the garden of the gods which is this really beautiful park it's not a national park i don't even think it's a state park uh, it was actually bequeathed to the city i think but as long as it had to be free you could never charge anyone to go there uh, and it's this amazing place outdoors huge red stones just shooting out of the ground it's magnificent uh, and the other day when I was there, somebody did break out in a song and a bunch of people did join them and it was uh, the national anthem. And I, <laughs> and I joined in too. And I was like, this is so cool and fun. So it's this funny, like we have this description here of this white city and it's what a city should be. And the way it's presented, I just feel like we've lost something since then. And at the same time, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just looking the wrong direction and getting distracted by the chaos that is being orchestrated around us you know but like the people still have maybe some of this self-respect and shared culture and and whatnot i i i hope so i i, I like so. to think that way because i started like, when i started reading that one section about how people were showing up in their sunday best mm. i said to myself hmm no one's doing that now. I'm I'm pretty sure we would see quite a few Crocs walking around at the White City these days, and and I think that is what is so 
splendid about the imagery in our heads and what has actually been captured in great detail on 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 uh, on film, because yeah. what what you and I thought was a um, I, I mean I would just a dearth of photo photography is actually not so. There is a yeah. lot. A lot of photography that that was taken and preserved and is accessible, and we're going to be able to read and watch a lot of that maybe on the last night that we get together here. Yeah. Well, um, and the artists' renderings of things too—they're not photographs, but they may as well be almost. They're so detailed in that document that you shared uh, with me as well, right? So we have that too. Um, but yeah, you, you know, that was the thing that struck me too is they had such an eye towards controlling and I don't think in a negative way, but controlling what, what was shown about this. And, you know, people weren't allowed to take their own pictures, really. You had to pay the fee, and most people weren't going to pay the fee. Like, just having, uh, what do they call them, their Kodak fiends, just having the camera alone and the tripod alone would already probably put most of these people out. But then to pay, like, this exorbitant fee to be able to take it into the fair and take pictures, not many people did that. So it makes sense why we only have sort of the official view and the official pictures and the official books and whatnot on the event because they they had an eye towards controlling that and even though in this book we're reading devil in the white city it does talk about the crime that was pretty rampant they had to go out of their way to have more police than ever uh i don't think any of that's going to be in those books or those pictures right they're going to make sure it's a very a much better picture than that that's painted for people well the- looking back on it so they did so there's bit. some of that too. I don't know where I was going with that, except that I guess you know the vision we have of this is probably a little bit skewed. How many people went missing? How many people got their purse snatched? Like how much of it was kind of Walmart trashy? <laughs> well, we have a we have a pretty good. Well, I, I, I get like you said, it's the accounting that was made public. We have a good accounting of the the crimes that were going on there. Um, yeah. There was also we have to talk about the medical emergencies. We have to talk about the event. We have to talk. That's on page uh, two two eighty four. Um, ah. Hold on. We'll, we'll hear. Well, let's 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 see if there's any crimes there. Uh, but so, hold that's on. the I, medical. I, I, the... Wait, wait. Before we get to that, let's let's do this because oh, this two eighty three. Oh, two eighty three. But it goes <laughs> into the crimes. It go, okay, two eighty three, then into two eighty four with the medical. Yeah. Um, good. Then we know where to go next. This is probably one of my favorite favorite chapters of the of the um of the book it's called uh night is the magician that's 247 so what we have here is just the opening about how despite its incomplete exhibits uh rutted paths and stretches of unplanted ground the exposition revealed to its early visitors a vision of what a city could be and ought to be the black city to the north lay steeped in smoke and garbage but here in the white city of the fair visitors ground clean public bathrooms pure water and ambulance service electric street lights and sewage processing system that yielded acres of manure for farmers there was daycare for children of visitors now this is the one that's, that made me sad the one child they 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 were wondering they they were wondering if whether or not Chicago uh, local lo- locals were going to come there and drop off their children at the at the daycare and leave just as a way to abandon children. And it said only one child, poor Charlie Johnson, was ever thus abandoned, and not a single child was lost. Although anxiety invested the closing moments of each day. Um, I wonder what happened to Charlie Johnson. I want to know yeah. who, where where he went. I hope he did big things in life. I really do, because I hope so too. 
man. But you now, know, and it could have been that the mom was one of the people who disappeared. I mean, it could have even been like a victim of Holmes, and so he was. It's not like he wasn't claimed. It was like there was no one to come back and claim him. Oh, maybe I, we can at least tell ourselves that's like a little better than just being abandoned outright. Maybe. You'd hope. I mean, Holmes was was just gobbling people up. It seems. Yeah. It, I, it, this was a murder mansion over there um, that, that he had he had built, and, and we we start seeing they. The, the, uh, Eric Larson talks a little bit more about the just the I don't know the uh, the hunger that cannot be satiated, and um, but as far as the thing itself on two forty seven, this is where we start getting a lot more of what was there. Loaded with did you knows, uh, okay. they people heard live music played by an orchestra in New York, transmitted to the fair by long distance telephone. So that's the first. I mean, that, that's that, huge. That's <laughs> huge. It's an yeah. that's an enormous thing right there. In 1893, it's enormous. They saw the first moving pictures of, on Edison's uh, kinetoscope, uh, and they watched stunned as lightning chattered from Nikola Tesla's body. Okay, that's that's where that's you know. <laughs> uh, you know, just got to see him perform with all of this this technology there. Um, they even saw more ungodly things. The first zipper, the first zipper. All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the zipper that you use on whatever, on your pants, everything. <laughs> on everything. The first zipper was there, and it was horrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah, because because you know the, the the first person to get anything caught in a zipper had not yet known that horror we didn't we didn't know the lesson yet yeah i know uh let's see here what else do we have um the first ever all-electric kitchen uh which included an automatic dishwasher and a box purported to contain every everything uh, a cook would need to make pancakes under the brand name aunt jemima aunt jemima that's what people we've done so- away with now right i, I know mean, she she was like the biggest self-employed creators small business all of this and and happened to be black which was amazing in itself and we just were like we erased her because somehow that's race it's racist to honor her it's less racist somehow to erase her the first major she was the first major black brand ambassador who did so much good things with the with the with the money that she she raised the causes that she she got behind and here she is in the middle of one of the most prestigious events in human history and to and to have some group of whining woke ninnies in the 21st century just just sweep that away is just so upsetting it, it's so upsetting. ridiculous yeah but they want this world to completely disappear now that's what this is all about over here in the 21st century getting this world that we could have claimed for ourselves and followed even farther um it was it was all starting to get wiped away because what 1893 you're less than 20 well 20 years later we have our central bank is thrown on top of us so they finally they've shackles that's it so we have our central bank in 20 years from that time then we have uh, we're in the middle of a first world war that we're dragged into a second world war the un We, we lose ourselves so soon after this we had everything going for us but um Anyway, let's keep going. What else they had? Uh, I sampled a new oddly flavored gum called Juicy Fruit. <laughs> you could still buy Juicy Fruit today at any yeah. <laughs> as an impulse buy at any counter, any pharmacy. Caramel-coated popcorn called Cracker Jack. Remember it, ladies and gentlemen. It was seen for the first time there. Uh, a new cereal, shredded wheat, 
seem unlikely to succeed. Shredded doormat, some people called it, but a new beer did well. A, a, a beer winning the exposition's top beer award. Forever afterwards, its brewer called itself Pabst Blue Ribbon. So and now Neth- it's like the worst beer. It's the lowest level beer, but at the time that was the best beer. <laughs> Whenever we would go, we would have a gig or something, Lindsay, me and the the band, we would go out, we have a gig in the uh, the city or something like that. Anytime you go into a, a nice rock bar dive somewhere, you are more than likely to see on the specials a PBR and a shot. Ah. You, the, paired together, you get you get your... You get, you get your shot and you get your PBR chaser, and that's just it. But that I mean, think about it. It's uh, it's it was little, the cheapest pitchers you could find. Yep, <laughs> a lot a lot of buybacks with that. But there's more. The Dewey Decimal System was introduced there. Um, I mean, locomotive made of spoil of spooled silk, suspension bridge built out of Kirk soap. I mean, there's just there's just so much. What did you uh, pick up in all of these? These chapters right there, just ex- talking about the exhibits alone. I loved uh, the questions that people were asking about the exhibits and <laughs> like the way that they were tra- responding to people because rumors must have been insane. I mean, even in these big events of the opening ceremonies and other things, no one could hear anyone. So no one knows. So it's a giant game of telephone, but it's a giant game of telephone that's going across the whole country, right? People are coming, they're going back, they're telling people, they're telegraphing whoever. So people are just coming in with like the craziest expectations. And on 249, they're like, uh, someone's asking which building is the Pope yes, in. I love this exchange. I love this exchange. <laughs> uh, the person says, the Pope is not here, madam. And he says, Where is he? Uh, in Italy, Europe, madam. The woman frowned. Which way is that? <laughs> like um no literally italy but it kind of makes sense they had all the states represented they had many countries and all these different cultural so you know she's like well where where do i go to see the italian exhibit um then someone asks another visitor asks can you tell me the building is that has the artificial human beings and i'm like i wonder what they're asking about like are they because you know they had like a wax mask i think of one of the presidents i can't remember who maybe it was abe lincoln lincoln um was a Lincoln and yeah. then they have I feel like some a whole like statues or replications of some people so I wonder if that's what they're trying to ask but it sounds like they're asking like where are the clones or where are the robot people um, which I don't think were there <laughs> uh, yeah, people in the chat room they're talking about the yeah, where's the Pope I know I, I love the final there the right there too where because he's talking about the exposition guards um, where they they really got to see just how the stupidest that mankind can produce even back then. I can't even yes. imagine the kind of questions that would be asked now. now. But um, <laughs> but when he says, I also where, where, where's the Pope? He's in Italy, Europe, madam. Woman frowned. Which way is that? Convinced now that the woman was joking, the guard cheerfully quipped, three blocks under the lagoon. She responded, how do I get there? <laughs> but uh, everybody, in the, a couple of people in the chat room, uh, uh, made a comment about Mark Twain, how they really wish that he could have seen that and yeah. published published some thoughts, and that he was sick the whole time. It's so funny because there's this funny or die old school, one of the first or maybe the second uh, drunk histories with Duncan Trussell. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's amazing. And uh, he's talking about Tesla, and so he's describing Tesla's life. The whole thing's hilarious. But at one part, he's like, Mark Twain is in the crowd crying. So I was just sitting here waiting. I was like, ooh, Mark Twain and Tesla actually are going to meet and they're going to have their moment. And then Mark Twain is sick for, what, 10 days? 
10 days didn't even see it once i know what what an anomaly it sucks Um, but my favorite favorite thing i think is buffalo bill and buffalo bill you know did better than the fair did like he was attracting more visitors if they would have just included him they said he would have that people would have had to pay the fair entrance fee first and then gone to his show and they would it would have increased their numbers so much and they that was their loss they didn't do it for whatever reason it was incongruous i think they said but then uh someone had asked this is on page 251 uh someone had asked that mayor carter harrison Oh, Mayor Carter Harrison was the one who requested that the fair officials allow the poor children of the city to have a day that they could just come into the fair for free. Otherwise, they wouldn't get to see it. Uh, and they said no, because they needed every fair counted, no matter how much, which is business. I mean, they're, the economy's struggling. They haven't got the numbers they need. And I, I don't think that was kind of them, but I also kind of understand. Uh, but so Buffalo Bill was like, what? Not even for the children. Uh, so he declared Waif's Day at the Wild West and offered any kid in Chicago a free train ticket, free admission to the show, and free access to the whole Wild West encampment, plus all the candy and ice cream the children could eat. 15,000 children showed up. He's a, he's a, what he, a heart. He's a smart, he was a smart man, and he definitely showed heart. Um, but, you know... Uh, very, very smart. When you see how how he was competing against this this government funded behemoth right next to him, this love, this this huge thing, and he, he kept it neck and neck. Can you imagine what it would have been if they had combined forces? You're right. Yeah. He really was awesome. Um, I I I also really enjoyed the description of the fair at night because some of the more seductive pictures of the fair that are more widely circulated on the internet is of that amazing glow that amazing glow that i always try to create in every living room i've ever helped decorate i want just that glow. i want to live in that glow and here's what they have no over one here. had really seen that before right i mean no. this would be like one of the first times ever they said the nights were ravishing the lamps that laced every building and walkway produced the most elaborate de- demonstration of electric illumination ever attempted and the first large-scale test of alternating current. Thank you, Tesla. The fair alone consumed three times as much electricity as the entire city of Chicago, which, of course, we know, we know at this point it is mostly lit by gas jets. So it's, um, that's a, uh, it's not too hard of a feat when you're bringing in all of this technology there but i i I love that i really do um now as far as holmes goes modus operandi it's a two-page chapter and it's just another you just get these little unsettling hints you 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 feel so you feel so like excited about all the innovation and the wonderful things happening at the fair and then sometimes you just get a page and a half of skin crawling torment and that's what we get on page 256, especially this part. Holmes did not kill face-to-face as Jack the Ripper had done, gorging himself on warmth and vis- uh, viscera. But he did like proximity. He liked being near enough to hear the approach of death in the rising panic of his victims. Whether it be just having somebody locked in a vault and hearing them just slowly fade away, or whatever the hell else, gassing somebody, the chloroform, whatever. it is just, he is a, 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 the, one of the most fucked up phantoms you ever read about in your life. 
And this was what was interesting too, in an earlier part here in this section, they said that he didn't really let men stay at the hotel, right? Or whatever, or whatever we're calling the death building. Um, they He would just turn them away. He would say that that was full and he would mostly have women. But on that same page, it describes four more of his victims that we seem to know for sure. And one of them is a male. So I, I that's the only one until I think later that we know for sure was a male that he killed. He definitely seemed to tend towards women. Well, he was going to kill. He was going to kill Murda's. He was. It seemed like he oh, was yeah, going to uncle. kill her uncle. Seemed yeah. like he was going to kill him. The testing the doorknobs at night. Didn't quite pull it off. Lucky guy. I mean, he was smart too. Um, and you again, you're like, how does he keep getting rid of this over? But like they describe it also at the bottom of page 256 that there was just more and more people there. There was more and more crime. The police were already stretched so thin with this giant event. And even though it had its own guard, you know, people were all over the city just flushing in there. And so they just had so much on their hands. It just wasn't. It was just another one of those things. Uh, Chicago was already a place he could pull this off. But now with the fair and full blast, it was even easier, it seemed. And I also thought it was interesting that in that same page, uh, two pages on 257, it describes how he didn't keep any trophies. In fact, we see over and over again, he gets rid of people's belongings or or just leaves them there, but um, he gives them away or gets rid of them. And, the, and it says the possession he craved was a transient thing, like the scent of a fresh cut hyacinth. Once it was gone, only another acquisition could restore it. And it's so, it seems like we hear at least that most psychopaths are uh, serial killers do keep some kind of trophy, but apparently he didn't. It's a little yeah, different. I see uh, uh, a few, uh, uh, Krista in the chat room just had brought that up there too. Uh, but it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like a uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like something that he did because with Buffalo Bill in, for example, uh, Silence of the Lambs, he didn't once uh, his victim in in the pit is, you know, I want my mom or whatever, and, and he starts, you know, th he starts getting a little bit of a glimpse of the humanity of the victim. That creates inner conflict that he doesn't really appreciate. I don't think with Holmes there is anything like that there. So, um, you know, because you start maybe thinking, is is the personal effects of a person staying behind making him feel guilt in some way? But he, this, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. He doesn't, he just, that's not there. They'll describe over and over like they would they would inquire about these women who are missing and he would just be like like i couldn't care less i don't even know what you're, why you care <laughs> you know like why would i why would i know right uh, unless it was like a family member or a or a detective and then he would you know schmooze them up and make them feel like they were the most important person in the world um but well yeah away from him because we know what's going on there and we'll get a little bit into that later on um then we have, uh, the, finally, the Ferris wheel is completed. Yeah. And on page 260 and 260, there's some great Ferris wheel stories in here. Uh, the, the guy that loses his cool, uh, he, he, you know, one revolution around this thing was 20 minutes. And oh, everybody that pays to get on it goes on for two revolutions. So it was a 40-minute ride. And he was going nuts. He, then he learned he had to do a second. And then he had to put, some woman had to put her skirt over his head to calm him down like he was a parakeet. And um, That's so smart. <laughs> it is. It's just crazy. But listen to this. As the wheel began to turn, this is when they were, they were testing it, loose nuts and bolts and a couple of wrenches rained from its hub and spokes. The wheel had consumed 28,416 pounds of bolts 
in its assembly, someone was bound to forget something. So every time it turned, at least those first couple of times, nuts, bolts, wrenches are falling that people just left behind. Uh, th- then, but then we start getting a little bit more of an understanding of the colossal size of this thing, which you don't get any Ferris wheels like this anywhere in modern day. I, I, I have never seen anything this big. I've seen some big Wish. ones. I mean, that's one that I would be happy to ride, honestly, instead of these chintzy little ones that are made out of aluminum or whatever and like probably put together by the least capable people. Which? But it wasn't. When I read that, I thought 28,416 bolts. But no, it's 28,416 pounds of bolts. Yeah. <laughs> no, listen to this one. Each of the 36 cars, this is on page uh, 262, each of the 36 cars weighed 13 tons for a total of just under 1 million pounds, and that did not include the 200,000 pounds of additional live load that would be added as passengers filled the cars. 1 million pounds. And people just, the people doubted. And people doubted, uh, doubted how the hell is this thing going to, to... Keep all that weight in check because they. What was it? What was it uh, described as being, like the delicate spokes of a bicycle or a spool yeah. of silk? It was. It was just something. And the way they did describe it, it does sound very dainty. For, but uh, it was. It was both. It was described as the spider web, silken threads, and like the spokes of the of the modern bicycle wheel. Which does, I think if you were looking at it in comparison, like just comparing, you know, like how long and how thin each spoke looks, you might be like, no, I'm not getting on that. But I love too that the workers climbed on without the cars even on and like rode it all the way around. It reminds me of those pictures we get of those first skyscraper builders or, you know, those people who are way up there, there's no belts, they're not attached to anything, they're not tied on, they're just like eating lunch on some excessively high you know, bar somewhere, and, and here they are riding the fair. So they're the first ones who really got to ride it because they just hopped on. Absolutely, A- absolutely, it, it really was. And then you, and then you have, of course, the arrival of Anna, Nanny. She shows up. This is all. We don't know where this is all going to go just yet. But um, where, where was I going to put? Oh, oh, on uh, where was all the the crime? Let's do the uh, crime. Two eighty three. Two eight. Okay. Bottom of two eighty three. Which, some of it, I don't even understand, like, what they're talking about. 200. Do you, do you want to read it? Do you want me to read no, it? No, you read that, and I'll read all of the uh, the medical emergencies on the next page. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so it says, visitors wore their best clothes as if going to church and were surprisingly well-behaved. In the six months of the fair, a Colombian guard made only 2,929 arrests, about 16 per day. That would have been day one. Disorderly conduct. That would have been day, that? that would have been day one in 2023. Yeah, <laughs> so it would be 3,000 arrests the first day. But at this point, we probably would. We'd be like, oh, whatever, just let them loot and whatever they want to do. Um, typically for disorderly conduct, petty theft, and pickpocketing, with pickpockets most favoring the fair's always crowded aquarium. The guard identified 135 ex-convicts and removed them from the grounds. It issued 30 fines for carrying Kodaks without a permit, 37 for taking unauthorized photographs. It investigated the discovery on the grounds of three fetuses. What is that? What? I, I like. I honestly don't understand. So people left. The, people left behind what? three, three fetuses. Did they give birth to three children did they, and left did them they behind? Give birth and then just left the. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I can't even imagine. Like, I don't, it doesn't, they don't ex- extrapolate on us. I have no clue. I'm just guessing that's what must have happened. 
a Pinkerton detective assaulting visitors at the Tiffany Pavilion, and a Zulu acting improperly. Uh, <laughs> with tens of thousands of employees and the millions of visitors, it must be admitted that our success was phenomenal, which is true. Uh, I won't, I don't know if I'll ever understand when I, I just stopped at that fetus's part. It was like, I, I'm trying to explain to myself what this means and I don't really know. I know. <laughs> uh, and then uh, as far as medical, with so many people packed among steam engines, giant rotating wheels, horse-drawn fire trucks, and rocketing bobsleds, uh, the fair's ambulances superintendent, uh, superintended by a doctor named Gentles were constantly delivering bruised, bloody, and overheated visitors to the Exposition Hospital. Over the life of the fair, the hospital treated 11,602 patients, 64 a day, for injuries and ailments that suggest that the mundane sufferings of people had not changed very much over the ages. Listen to this. 820 cages of diarrhea. Oh, can you imagine having diarrhea there at the fair? Constipation, hemorrhoids, indigestion. It's all stomach shit. Yeah. Um... Uh, hundreds, these are all in the hundreds, foreign bodies in the eyes, things stuck in the eyes, severe headaches, episodes of fainting, uh, exhaustion, one case of extreme flatulence, <laughs> uh, and 169 involving teeth that hurt like hell. What is it with people's teeth and their stomachs? <laughs> it's so, Well, again, they're in this place with more electricity than they've ever been around in their lives, and, there's, and many of these true. people have electric sensitivity and they don't know it because nobody even knows that's a thing yet and so i bet a bunch of this sickness is that this is so weird to me though i get going for diarrhea why would you go for constipation like what a, i don't know man and then hemorrhoids too like what are they gonna do for you there give you one I of those circle just, pillows yeah <laughs> just sit down for a while i know There's some ice so so that's where we're going and as far as uh holmes and anna and um and what's her name Minnie yeah they're all together now he's gotten Anna feeling a little bit more comfortable of course he seduces her too not not sexually uh, or anything like that but she feels at ease where she sent for her trunk back at Texas she's going to stay a while and then we got uh, like I said before th- using those three as a vehicle to examine the grounds again we get that that in a nice little chapter too so i want to get to the the thread here because there's some great stuff that people left behind this is from gal 2 221 uh the author buries some gems in the storytelling if one is interested to dig a bit deeper on page 239 describing the opening ceremony is a short mention of jane adams who had her purse stolen why would this be mentioned it turned out that jane adams was a, was a social activist and co-founder of the aclu another person quoted several times on page 248 miss dc taylor wrote quote uh halcyon days in the dream city about the exposition when I Google when I Googled her name, not only did the the title come up, but a lot of pictures of the exposition. Seeing these and the ones which Frank found gave a better perspective of the immensity of the structures and the crowds. I scanned over some of the bios of the women found in the documents Frank located. These included the women such as Mrs. Palmer, who were on the woman who was on the women's board. They offered insight into what qualified a woman to be elevated in society that day. It'd be interesting to find a listing of the numerous inventions, new ideas, and even new foods that came from the Columbian Exposition on page 247. That's what we were just talking about. Um, Things like um, 
pancakes and all that other stuff. On page 289, long before the fair's end, people began mourning its inevitable passage. Uh, Mary Hartwell Catherwood wrote, What shall we do when the wonderland is closed, when it disappears, when the enchantment comes to an end? And the fair, quote, was so perfect, its grace and beauty, like an assurance that for as long as it lasted, nothing truly bad could happen to anyone anywhere, end quote. Isn't this human nature, and don't we like to ignore the troubles that may be coming just to enjoy halcyon days? I see parallels to our day. I do. You know, the parallel I see to this is I always mourn things before they end, before they even start, because I know that they're going to end. It's very hard for me to keep in the moment sometimes, because it's just, I understand how fleeting every nanosecond is, and... uh, and the thing that we're talking about this 125 plus years in the future, you know, uh, that this was a so real and so in the moment. And here we are so many. Uh, who's going to be talking about us 125 years? Somebody's talking about us right now 125 years from now, Lindsay. Uh, that'll be crazy. Yeah. So I love the I love to the, you know, just talking about women and activists and people who are elevated. And Susan B. Anthony shows up here as well. And. Um, she's part of the evil suffragette movement made even more evil because she wants people to be able to go to the fair on Sundays, uh, which is, you know, against the Sabbateans' wishes. So I thought that was an interesting, she's this, this uh, impious, you know, character in, in the eyes of the people of the time. But Buffalo Bill's okay with her. They have a grand uh, moment together. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you get that feeling of really what it must have been like to be a suffragette at that time and how society viewed you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes. Let's see here. Okay, John Carroll, he dropped something in there that he sent it to me and I sent it to you, Lindsay, and that is the actual handbook of the World's Columbian Exposition. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to get into this thread. And you got to find it. Um, this is just a great, great thing. What he says, he said, uh, on page 266, there's a reference to the Rand McNally and Company Handbook to the World's Columbian Exposition. Well, I went and I found it, PDF of the handbook. It is incredible. Let me see if I can get it up on screen capture here. Hold on. And boom. So this is what you get. Oh, hold on. This is what you get inside. It looks like it's scanned, really. Um, let's just go into the middle of it. What do we have? Oh, wow. I mean, this is here at the agricultural building. Oh, on page 102 of 224. You get everything. Everything. Look at this wonderful stuff here. Uh, hold on. Let me get Lindsay up on screen with me, too. Yeah. The fisheries building. Uh, the, all of these sketches and then just really detailed write-ups of what has gone into it, the history, what it's alluding to, and background. It's uh, And, of, of course, probably all the most not-woke thing you'll ever hear. Just telling you how it is. There is so much in here. Lindsay, between this and all of the photos that we found in PDF form and everything else, we're going to have a a great time uh, next week. Is, is next week the last, the last yeah, of it? Yeah, it is. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It is very crazy. It really is. Um, so that's that is from John Carroll. He also goes on to say, uh, "Let me see here." He said some quick observations on page three hundred six, and again on three thirty three. There are references to the stars being visible at night, despite the millions of lights in the city. 
Uh, how was this possible? It's common knowledge today that city lights block out the stars. Is this phenomenon related to the recent banning of incandescent light bulbs? To, to stray more into the conspiracy territory, imagine that. The banning of incandescent light bulbs is because they don't block out the stars enough. Imagine that. Uh, they do get hot as hell, though. I, I will say that now that LEDs have mastered the soft yellow, the soft white glow that incandescence gave us, it is pretty great to have a lamp on that doesn't make the room boil. It is. Yeah. It, I, I got to say that. But that's and they a, do last a long time, and they're not toxic if you break them. Right. And listen, I'm fine with incandescent light bulbs going away. Yeah. Only if, if they are supplanted by a better idea. And I don't think they should be banned either because there's some just some projects you have where the 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 novelty of an incandescent light bulb just fits the 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 decor, you know. So the banning stuff, the polit the politicizing of technology, that always gets my conspiracy uh, you know, brain going. Yeah. Especially with the climate hoax techno communist takeover of everything i just wonder if the led lights have some sort of aspect of them that's easier for someone to externally control if your social credit score goes too low right whereas incandescence might not have that same access right Absolutely. He goes on to say, John Carroll does, to stray more into conspiracy territory, the obvious question struck me as I read the accounts of people dreading the day the fair would close. The White City was a fully functional city at its opening and financial success after only six months. It had everything a city needs from the governing body, police and fire forces, sewage and electric systems, etc. And it only took two years to build. So if the White City is possible, why isn't every city like that? Now, if we actually aspired to live in a world like that, it would, of course, take a little longer because the buildings would be constructed from stone, but we know that it's possible. Logic would suggest that the only reason our civilization doesn't look that way today is because people driving our civilization don't want it to. The White City was a realization of a dream and the most inspiring thing I've read about in a long time. The fact that it was possible is proof that the future can be brighter and that is something worth fighting for. John, let's... let's Let's turn that into a uh, an article yeah. on quite frankly TV. Let's do that, man. I mean, th that that is the bones of a great another great uh, one of your articles, timeless articles for the quite frankly blog. What do you think about that theory? Well, I I think that's absolutely true, and I think as you pointed out, the Federal Reserve was about to Jekyll Island its way into right <laughs> the yeah. the world and um taking over and really controlling the economic situation because the truth is for me at least that humans will automatically build beautiful things and do amazing we'll follow our passion you don't even have to be paid for it all the time we just want to do these things and the internet has proved that beyond anything else this is why i think that we even have you know what was it the other day that oh it was the guy who set trump the trump sign on fire right and they put it out and they were like all right internet like do your job and they did and they found the guy and now we know who that is and no one got paid for that that's just what people are just passionate and they'll just do what they love and um, we have nothing but examples of that but they won't do that if they are shackled in economic slavery and debt and constant stress and not having enough of what they need and that's easier to control from yeah. the people above. So they don't care if we live in beauty. We would automatically live in beauty if we had the time and the space to do so. But but we're preoccupied by being in a constant state of fight or flight. 
Yeah. And that's that's it. It's like where, where's the where's the food coming from? Where's am I am I set for retirement? Uh, I hope I don't get sick because the the hospitals are insane and and everything costs so much. It, it is uh, who is concentrating about beautifying and innovation? We're talking about survival in a t- in, in in an age where we should have such abundance and it's artificial uh it's artificial scarcity everywhere we look um let's see i think we're almost done with this uh someone said jaylen wennings said we finally get a stroll through the fair and it's with holmes my god it made my skin crawl i know i know like i said i think it was a very um you know with something like this it's a clever it's a clever tool um yeah. by by Eric Larson and I think because I mean we've stopped to admire his prose from time to time and the way that he words things and things that really hit but this is not a your average novel uh it is really very it's nonfiction and it's it, it's almost like reading a history book but it doesn't have the same boring sting of reading a history book because it's been novelized and you're you're being brought through and that's why oh man if every if more books can be like this think about how easy it would be to learn because everybody's gonna everybody in this in this book club is coming away with many things that they did not know that they're gonna know forever now well and this is like why can't we do that because every part of history has this these elements of you know trial and error and conflict and you know, humanity suffering and humanity's triumph and all of these things all throughout history. So we could have just this, but I don't know. Just the focus even of most history of like dates, like you have to know the date, you have to know the date this happened. I'm like, well, I I know the rough time. I don't need to know the exact day, the exact name of the person. I can have just the concept. And that's why I love reading about it like this. It's way easier for me to grab those concepts and those overarching themes than it is for me to like memorize every single detail Yes. Uh, which is very boring to do. Absolutely, I know. I know. I know what you mean there. Uh, it, I, I love it. Um, let's see. We do have some tragedy here at the end as well, which? Uh, with the bobsled tragedy, and then the fire that breaks out. Yes, right yeah, at it, the end there, and there's also the bobsleds killed like four, and the fire killed twelve, and but then the, the attendance actually went up because people love the macabre and they wanted to go be closer to death and destruction, I think. It's rubbernecking. That was also interesting. We've always, we've always been a species that loves to rubberneck. Yes. Um, and, and, but, but there's also a little bit, I don't know if... I, um, there's a little bit there. Which There's a building that was... Which building Is was it? it? The, cold, the cold storage building? Like cold storage. Okay. Well, well, it seems like it's being set up for some kind of a fire. Um, yeah, I mean, because earlier they had some sort of fire there, and it was sort of hushed, hushed away. Right, and then the fire marshal said that this is going to be bad, cold storage. So that's probably where all the refrigerators are, refrigeration. Yeah, and a lot, and it does take a lot of energy to keep things cold. Um, and I guess the design was also bad because they got that. It reminded me of the movie Backdraft. I don't know how many people remember that, uh, but that's where we all kind of learned that this trapped air, and then you open the compartment to where the fire is and it just like explodes but it sounds like that's what happened um and then they try and then they arrest burnham and like try to charge him as being responsible for those 12 deaths it's a lot 
It's a lot. I, uh, it's a lot. In the chat room, Krista says, it's narrative nonfiction, the best genre, Frank. Okay, I didn't know that that was the exact the exact thing there. I like that. Um, Ambulance Chaser, says Vesper. The Fire, uh, dueling timelines between the two are very interesting. These are just random bits from the chat room now. Next, they'll say that we're just going to dial down the oxygen a bit. It's for your own good, said Nikki Vu. Um... I mean, there's a lot, and uh, people are really loving it. Now, as far as the end, as far as what we got coming up here, and I would really suggest a lot of people go and check out this thread. It's a shorter thread. Um, next week is going to be the last one, but especially the things that John Carroll dropped in there, really great. And in fact, I think, uh, quite frankly, producer, that's Krista, she dropped in a link to the Columbian March in there. Now, I went, and I, I went and I went to look it up myself, and I had it ready for tonight, but there it is. But, I, I, you know, whether it be Krista or whether it be, um, who was the other one that was talking about Jane Addams? Uh, that is a gal, too. I, that's what I've been hearing from a lot of people. Robert Solario over here as well. I've been hearing from a lot of people. There's just so many little things that is inspiring people to go and do deep digs into all these things that are, are even just mentioned in a passing a passing moment there's so much i would love to talk to if we can get eric larson on with us one day because uh yeah we were we just found out that he is working on a new book to be released next year so perhaps we can get him for an interview after that i would just love to talk to him not only about the fair maybe he's probably going to want to talk about new things he's doing but the process of putting this together this is a dizzying amount of information and to make it chronological and to make it flow to make it make sense it is i can't even imagine what his workspace looks like he has like 30 pages at the end of just lists of his sources that he used to inform him for any given chapter yeah the bibliography. I mean, that's not even the bibliography. That's just his, to show you, like, you could go look at these same sources, then reread that chapter, and you'd see, like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see exactly why you pulled this together like this. How can um, one man... And he also has the bibliography separately. <laughs> it's just, uh, how can it all be the work of one man? It's just a colossal undertaking, but so was the fair. And yep. uh, and whatever. But, um, all right, Lindsay, any, if you have any closing thoughts, that'd be great. And uh, if, if we've... If we've wrapped it all up uh, succinctly enough, then by all means, let everybody know what you got going on for this week, and we'll reconvene on Tuesday. Well, I do love how he always is so great at his foreshadowing. So you get these hints, like there's love in the air, but by the way, some of that love is Harrison and Miss Howard. Harrison is the, the mayor and his very young Miss Howard, but uh, there's just something about that announcement is not out yet i don't know what's going to happen and there's also some inclination that holmes has a new victim coming in georgiana yoke so we've got this tension building towards whatever that's going to be but um yeah i i'm excited to finish it off next week and uh anybody out there can go to rogueways.org to find more from me or you can stop by rockfin.com rogueways to see all my live streams and videos um and that that's good if you like also my uh writing i've got books and i write on substack roadways.substack.com so and i think uh, in, that's all of it. i think in all the episodes that you've been on with me as co-host uh lindsay i i have your link tree included in all of the descriptions so and that'll be there in, per, in perpetuity once this is all public and stuff like that so Perfect. um 
I, I from now until yeah next week, ladies and gentlemen, it's been on Wednesdays. But uh, Lindsay's got something going on on Wednesday next week, so we're going to do it on Tuesday night next week. And um, thank you all for your flexibility. <laughs> yes, no, we're going to do it on Tuesday night next week. Get that done, and that's seriously that's it. Finish the book. That those are the chapter assignments for the rest of this week into next. Finish the book, and we will come and um, give us our. Our thoughts, and because now we're going to find out about how Holmes was caught, what happens then, how he manages his public persona toward the end of his life. It's uh, it's it's all going to be very familiar to how people. It's excruciating. It's excruciating. <laughs> okay, but uh, go ahead and finish the book up. We'll see you on Tuesday. And with that, the the, the lava lamps just went off, so it is nine thirty. Thank you so much, Lindsay, and take care, everybody else. Thanks, guys. All right.